Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to BreakingPoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. We've been tracking the fortunes of young people and some new data about Gen Z college graduates of 2020 is just really disturbing. So let's go ahead and put this up there on the screen. Just 50% of college class of 2020 has traditional full-time jobs six months after graduation. So if you were to say, okay, you know, right after graduation, I'd be like, oh, okay. And the real problem is that it's such a precipitous decline from the normal 55% that you would see amongst 2019 graduates and more. It's never been this low crystal in the last, you know, five, seven years since data's been tracked in 2014. Wow. So that just goes to show you that number one, A, if you're only getting 55% or whatever, what's going on with the college degree, but two, the drop has made it so this is actually the worst off college class ever in terms of full-time employment six months after graduation. And, you know, Joe Biden just restarted student loan payments. Many of these people are going to be racking up mega high interest in terms of not being able to pay and looking for jobs. In many cases, they'll have to settle, go work in an industry or for something they didn't necessarily want to or study in. And really, it just shows you that, you know, at the bottom of the sector for young people, they're just getting screwed every which way. You have kids eating outside in the cold with masks on or whatever, nine feet apart. You have college students who the disruption that I hear 
of her exams and daily life is unbelievable. Yeah. Working class uh, Americans who didn't go to college, the lack of ability to get training, apprenticeships, entry-level job, and then, I don't know, there's just a deep sickness for a lot of people who are very young. They have no opportunities right now. Yeah, so. and um, they say to make matters worse, college graduates today also owe way more in student debt. Yeah. So adjusted for inflation, 2008, college grads owed 24000 in student loans on uh-huh. average. Now that number is 36 that's a lot of money. That's a massive yeah. increase. Yeah, that's in over just you it's know. It's not like wages went up. Basically, that much. a yeah. decade wages definitely did yeah. not go up that much. The other thing that I'm interested in here is um, you know this number in terms of what percentage has found you know full time permanent employment. It doesn't include people who are basically in the in the gig economy, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably another major shift and major trend that's been happening for a long time of employers moving from having a standard you know employee based workforce and trying to contract and subcontract and gig worker their way to do whatever they need, and I'm wondering if that's yet another. Uh, trend that's been accelerated by the pandemic. I think it's I think it's very likely because you had so many people detached from the workforce that, you know, it, this allows them to not have to really follow labor law. They have f- many fewer protections for workers who are contractors, quote unquote, independent contractors versus if it's actually their workforce. And so for a lot of young people, you know, rather than a generation or two generations or three generations ago where you get a job. You know, my dad got a job out of college at the the naval base as a civilian scientist. When he graduated college, he went, he got his post-grad degree, he came back, he worked at the same job as his entire career until he, you know, until he retired 30, 40 years later. That's just not the reality. It's all precarious. It's all at will. It's all, you know— gigs that you can get here or there to try to supplement your income, to try to pull it together. That means you don't have health care. It certainly means you're not getting a pension or any of those things that previous generations could also expect. And so you graduate into a, a landscape of precarity, and that's essentially where you end up existing your whole life. That's why when you look at millennials, they have much less in terms of wealth and assets than previous generations did before them at the same age. Why they're so it's so difficult to be able to start a family, to be able to buy a home, to be able to have that sort of basic stability that used to be the hallmark of America. This is just one more sign of that, which was tremendously accelerated by the pandemic and few people are paying attention to. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, all the data is really dystopian around young people, depression, um, suicidal thoughts, and lack of access to healthcare services, lack of job opportunities now, you know, hope in terms of trying to do better in any way economically in the future is very only much there for a select group of people for whom the economy works quite well. It's everybody else who's just getting completely screwed. So it's just yet another data point there. And if this is how college grads are doing, think of how non-college grads are doing, which continues to be two-thirds of even young generations that's always going to get a college degree. We over-focus on college, but I always look at these. You know, you have to pair young people together because, you know, they're very much in the same boat. Like, in terms of debt, consumer debt amongst young Americans who don't go to college is sky high. It's just not student debt. It's, you know, usually you have to borrow money to make rent or borrow money in order to just fulfill your daily, you know, activity 
activities or whatever, and you put that together and you've got a big bubble and problem. People aren't able to buy cars, they're not able to buy houses, they are living with their parents longer and longer. It's not just college graduates. They're having real problem finding actual opportunity and jobs in the communities they grew up in, meaning they have to leave, meaning they have to pay rent, they don't have a social support network. I mean, the country's just being ripped apart very, very yeah. slowly. Yeah, and, um, and, and separating promise, out like this. That's right. And um, you are still much more likely to, to you know, have a higher wage if you go to a four-year institution. But increasingly, now it's, you got to go to post-grad yeah, yeah. as well to get yourself a slot in you know, the, the middle class, which is increasingly separating into the upper middle class, which is doing well, mm -hmm. but are terrified of falling out of their status, and everybody else. So... Um, yeah, just a, another trend that has been accelerated by the pandemic that is uh, not a good sign of where the country is headed right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, you might remember we brought you Nancy Pelosi's horrific comments about members of Congress and their spouses being able to trade stocks. She totally dismissed the idea that this would lead to corruption, mm -hmm. um, even after Business Insider had revealed how many members of Congress were deeply conflicted or had actively violated the stock law, which requires disclosure. She said, but it's a free market. People should be able to participate in that. That language and the case she made there for overt corruption was so disgusting that even some of Wall Street's yeah, friends and handmaidens- the biggest Wall Street defenders in all of media. Even they were like, whoa, that was pretty far. Let's take a listen to Stephanie Rule and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You gotta walk me through this. When you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, there are all sorts of restrictions on what you can do. When you work yep. in an investment bank, when you work as an investor, so many restrictions when it comes to personal investments. But these people, lawmakers, these are policymakers, policies that directly influence the way business is done all over the country. How is this even remotely legal? This was one of the most disappointing and, and maybe to put it even less politely, disgraceful comments uh, and, and, and views I have heard espoused on this issue and surprising uh, given um, uh, Pelosi's views on many other issues. Uh, we have insider trading laws for a reason. Uh, CEOs, executives cannot trade. Uh, members of the Federal Reserve now cannot trade. And yet we are allowing our politicians who do have access to inside information. They are often briefed regularly about all sorts of things that are about to happen and that they have a meaningful influence on what is about to happen. And they are trading to the extent that that politicians should want the public to trust them. This undermines every bit of trust. It goes to every worst expectation of corruption. And it's not even expectation. It's real. I mean, it's really It's real, all right. It's yeah. real. It's very interesting, the case they make there, Sagar. Yeah. They're like, even the crooks on Wall Street can't insider trade. They're trade. right, though. Yeah. yeah, they're right. You know, my sister works in finance. She has all kinds of restrictions on the ability that she does. She's got more restrictions on her as, uh, as like an early staffer in finance as somebody who's not the Speaker of the House. It's insane. It's totally nuts. And well, they're right. And, yeah, and yeah. why? Because those laws were not put in place by the people yeah, that exactly. are sub going to then be subject to those rules and laws. Right. Whereas in Congress, we're relying on crooks like Pelosi and all the rest of them mm -hmm. to regulate themselves and... They're just, they're just brazen about it. I mean, what Business Insider uncovered 
the number of 15 members who sit directly on defense committees and have direct investments in Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and these other military industrial complex places. You had something like 75 members trying to profit off the pandemic. You had people who were just total hypocrites in terms of, oh, I'm pro, I'm in, you know, pro environment, I'm anti climate change, and then they're invested in like Exxon Mobil. Right. It was just, and then you've got, you know, Republicans who are very anti Silicon Valley and they're invested in Silicon Valley stuff. Exactly, yeah. It just complete hypocrisy, complete corruption, complete erosion of the public trust. So brazen that even Stephanie Rule and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who Stephanie Rule famously, not from Park Avenue, but pretty darn close. When you lost the multi-millionaire <laughs> MSNBC host who defends Park Avenue residents, you have a problem. You have a serious corruption problem. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah, it's like, I mean, Andrew Ross Sorkin, for people who don't know, the host of CNBC's morning show, Squawk Box. I mean, he co-created billions, like the icon of Wall Street media. Yeah. Wrote too big to fail, deeply embedded you know, with the industry. I'm not criticizing him necessarily. I'm just saying like, that's who these people are. Even they are like, this is totally nuts and crazy. That is how far Pelosi is out of step on this. And you can't help but wonder, how is this lady worth $150 million? And her husband makes all sorts of sketchy options trades based on very risky information hours before votes. Uh, I mean, it's nuts. I can't even believe it's legal, and yet it is. You know, and, and it's only recently that we even found out about this because of the passage of the Stock Act. Now they just have to tell us, but they can still do it. Yeah, I mean, Sorkin has a lot of access in this yeah. world. Let's oh, yeah. just say he's oh, deeply yeah. entwined. Yes. That's right. And, you know, I hate him just because he continues to look like he's like 20 years old for his entire <laughs> life. I just yeah. think that's How not fair. Is he? What is I want to know the answers. Like, what are you doing? So, yeah. um, until we get those he answers good accountability, makeup. I'm not going to be a fan. I just yeah, looked up. He's 44. 44 years old. He is a good looking guy. Looks like good he's 15. You, yeah, he does. Probably yeah. working out. I got, I got to get on that regimen. <laughs> He's got whatever right. the like Wall Street, you know, unicorn blue oh, right. or whatever that they're drinking over there. He's well, I got to I got to get some. Hook me up. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We've been tracking closely the Cuomo saga, the downfall of downfall of the brothers. We saw. Andrew Cuomo, he had to resign after sexual harassment scandals came to light. Then we had the report showing that he used state resources in order to help his book, his $5 million book deal, the downfall of his brother. Well, it just keeps getting worse for the Cuomos. The fallout is incredible. Let's put this up there on the screen. Governor Cuomo has been ordered by the New York State Ethics Board to turn over millions of dollars in profits from his pandemic memoir, giving him 30 days to comply, which totals $5.1 million. Now, it's funny, Crystal. He never actually sold that many books. We actually sold more books than he did, whatever we wrote one. Wasn't even close. And uh, wasn't even close, <laughs> but he received, unlike us, $5 million in a uh, advance from a publishing company, essentially a little bit of a payoff, and then he used state resources and actually siphoned off state resources and employees to write that book for his $5 million book deal. And some justice is being served here. The man now has to turn over $5 million. Don't worry, he's still worth millions and millions of dollars. He'll be okay. So, Governor... I look forward to seeing that check. I bet you this guy's going to make a comeback no, at some point, too. 100%. He's going to go into the wilderness, let people forget, and then yeah. try to Give make him like some kind of a comeback. But um, just so you know, too, this right. was not even a close vote. It was a 12-to-1 vote wow. of the state's Joint Commission on yeah. Public Ethics. 
Um, they had previously ruled that Cuomo had received authorization for the deal under false pretenses, and they decided on Tuesday that he was not entitled to keep any of the profits from it. I think the one dude who voted the other way was like a Cuomo appointee and just <laughs> like a total, you know, Classic. a total shill who was like, I'm Classic. worried about the precedent or whatever. But, you know, it's even worse than just the fact, which is bad enough, that he was using state resources to write this terrible book that nobody ultimately was interested in reading. The timeline that was revealed of when the book deal came together and when this was all happening is really stunning because this was early days of the pandemic when New York, I mean, he had no idea how this was going to no. go. Yeah. Well, the right. worst of everything June, for right. New York, which, I mean, you guys remember, it was horrific. Was there were, you know, trucks parked on the street like with morgues, dead yeah. bodies in them. It was terrible. All of that was still to come when he's out there signing a multi-million dollar book deal and then using the same government employees who are supposed to be dealing with this absolutely catastrophic and devastating crisis, he's distracting them instead with helping him write his freaking book. Like, it just shows you the ego of this man, the narcissism of this man, the callousness of this man. So the fact that he's being ordered to at least return some of those ill-gotten gains is something. Yeah, At least no. it's something. No, it is something. Look, it's some measure of justice. Let's not, you know, turn our nose. It's $5 million. That's a lot of money. Even if you're a multimillionaire, that's a lot of money. Uh, and so, look, it's possible he could have spent it already, too, which would have been extra funny. I mean, that's the way some uh, of these people yeah, live, you I, know? It wouldn't surprise me if he's one of those guys who's perpetually broke and constantly needs the money, even though, you know, daddy left him a nice, tidy sum and his brother's got, you know, millions and millions from his CNN contract. So, we'll see. I, I do think it is a positive step in the right direction. And I think the downfall of these two men shows you the hubris of a lot of elite liberalism of right in the middle of the pandemic. And to me, it's just that there is a cost. Look, you can't flagrantly flout the rules at your company or in when you're in media or when you're the governor, you, no matter how popular you are, eventually the bill will come due. Very rarely does, but eventually, and that's what happened for these two. Yeah, men. that is what happened. They yeah. got a little, little too bold here. Um, last note on this is uh, former Governor Cuomo is not out of the woods yet. He's still being investigated. Oh, that's right. Several yeah. investigations by the federal government. They're looking at the fact that his administration downplayed the death toll of nursing home residents. Read, that's the New York Times. Wow. Um, very diplomatic wording. That they lied and whitewashed the death toll of nursing home residents during the pandemic, they say, among other matters. And... He was also criminally charged with groping the breast of a former executive assistant in the executive mansion last year and is scheduled to be arraigned in January. We will bring you any updates on those investigations and prosecutions. But, um, yeah, it's it's incredible to reflect on the massive downfall of Andrew Cuomo, who was not only governor, but riding high, receiving Emmys, the hero. Oh, yeah. People speculating about they're going to sub him in for Joe Biden and all of that stuff. He was going to be the savior of the Democratic Party. And then uh, his brother, who was, listen, it's, you know, low bar, but the highest rated primetime host at CNN. Extraordinarily influential, extraordinarily powerful in that position. And now both of them out of the job. Pretty stunning. Just incredible. It really is.
Of course, we here at Breaking Points have been tracking the rise in prices of a lot of staples, um, things that you're picking up in the grocery store, rent, gas, of course. And today we wanted to zoom in on one of those goods in particular, and that is beef. And to get the real story on why beef prices are increasing so dramatically, we wanted to bring in Bill Bullard. He is not only a former rancher, but he is also CEO of the national nonprofit Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund. Great to see you, Bill. Good to see you, Bill. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. So let me throw this tear sheet up on the screen to sort of set the table here, metaphorically, Mm -hmm. no pun intended. (laughs) Um, Beef prices up 20% since last year, and CNBC goes into some of the reasons why. And Bill, I know uh, the Biden administration, part of what they have pointed to is that meat processors, that industry has massively consolidated into four, four giant conglomerates. Just take us into some of the reasons why beef prices have gone up so much. Well, the reason is, is the marketplace is fundamentally broken. You have four packers controlling 85% of the fed cattle market. Uh, They have control over the marketplace. We filed an antitrust lawsuit against the big four packers, alleging that they have conspired to artificially depress prices to cattle producers while at the same time inflating prices to consumers. So for the past six years, we've seen consumer beef prices rising and we've seen cattle prices falling. In fact, they're moving in the opposite directions. And this is a great concern because the only ingredient in beef is cattle. And so there should be a harmonious relationship between the two price points, but that's not occurred. And since 2017, we've seen beef prices skyrocketing and consumers are paying at the grocery store And at the same time, we have cattle producers who are being forced out of business because they cannot receive their cost of production from the broken marketplace. We have two problems. We have a lack of competition in the entire live cattle marketing structure. And then we have globalization. We have given the meat packers the ability to source beef from anywhere around the world. Cheaper beef, it's not differentiated. Consumers can't tell the difference. So they're buying beef out of Brazil, Uruguay, Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica, Australia, Mexico, Canada, passing it off to consumers as a direct substitute for the beef produced by the American rancher. And this is harming the American rancher and it's hurting the consumers because right now, Consumers are being exploited on one end of the supply chain and cattle producers are being exploited on the other. And as the Biden administration recently announced, the meat packers margins have increased 300% since the pandemic. But this is a systemic problem. It's been going on since 2015 that we've seen this absolute disconnect between the value of beef and the value of cattle. And uh, we need to fix that. But so far, the government hasn't done anything. You were the person who taught me about that. I had no idea about these labeling laws around uh, product of the or made in the USA, basically mislabeling via lobbying that was hurting American consumers because they want to buy American beef, but they changed the labeling standards. So that doesn't necessarily apply to people um, like yourselves or for other ranchers that are actually producing uh, beef here in the United States. Can you talk a little bit, not only to that, but just how little of the profit is actually filtering down to the folks who themselves have made a living out of raising cattle here in the U.S.? So with respect to the country of origin labeling, Mm -hmm. consumers can go to the grocery store and see a a beef product with a label that says product of the USA. Now that product may have been exclusively produced in Uruguay, for example, brought into the United States and in full compliance with our current regulations by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 
They can bring that Uruguayan beef product into a U.S. packing plant, take the package out or the beef out of the package, throw away the Uruguayan label, place a product of USA label on it, and sell it to unsuspecting consumers as if it were produced by the American cattle producer. And that's false. That's the deceptive. And uh, this has been going on for a long time. And it's harming the producers, and, and it's harming them to this extent. We go back uh, less than a, or just a little over a generation, and about 62% of every dollar consumers spent on beef would actually flow back to the American rancher. Well, in recent years, that percentage has dropped to about 37%. So the rancher has lost half of the consumer dollar that used to flow through the supply chain back to the cattle producers and that uh, profit is now being captured by the middleman in this instance, and that's the beef packing cartel. The reasons why I find this conversation so important is because so many corners of our, you know, pro food production industry have already been monopolized. You know, it's all it's big ag, it's the big meat packing companies. And it seems like the ranchers are like this one holdout <laughs> where you still have small producers, you know, living living this life and deriving their economy, raising a family off of, you know, their ability to, to raise cattle. Could you speak to that aspect of it? Because, listen, I don't know anything about this. It strikes me from the outside. This isn't just about economics. It's also about a way of life that is dramatically under pressure by the undercutting of the ability to, to you know, live and produce the way that people have been able to for so long. Yes. That's right. Uh, you know, America was built with entrepreneurs, small businesses, farming and ranching and Main Street businesses. And they once flourished and we had a very vibrant rural economy all across America. Drive across America today and you see rural communities literally hollowed out. Uh, they're blowing away, they've, they've gone to dust, uh, weeds growing down the streets. And the reason for that is the single largest segment of American agriculture is the live cattle industry. We have about three quarters of a million cattle producers left in this industry. Most of those are family farming and ranching operations. And they were providing the economic cornerstones for rural communities. But since we've gone through this long period of depressed uh, uh, profits and below the cost of production returns in the marketplace, uh, in just over a generation, we've lost uh, 544,000 independent beef cattle operations from this country. So cattle producers are dropping like flies. And so the industry, if we don't make a change, a fundamental change and do it quickly, this industry, the U.S. ranching industry, will no longer look like what it is today. Uh, it's going to be radically changed. It's going to be corporatized. It's going to be an industrialized model where the meat packers decide from birth to plate how to produce the cattle. And you will continue to see mass exoduses of cattle producers from rural communities, just as we have for the past four decades. And what's really sad about this is that Congress has just ignored this problem. The administrations of the past have all ignored this problem. And now it's gotten so critical because consumers are being exploited so terribly in the marketplace that finally attention is being drawn to it. And hopefully now uh, we'll get some major movement. As was indicated, we have a bill introduced, Senate Bill 2716, that will restore mandatory country of origin labeling for beef. That means consumer can go to the grocery store and see a product that says, born, raised, and harvested in the United States. And when the consumer purchases that product, they will send a demand signal to the packer to source more beef, 
And the only place that packer can go is to the American ranching industry. They have to buy from American cattle producers. And that's what's going to revitalize rural America again. But we have to give consumers the ability to help the industry. And the only way they can do that is that they can actually distinguish between the high quality USA beef product produced by American ranchers or the beef products produced cheaper uh, in Uruguay, Australia, Costa Rica, and any one of the 20 countries we import from. Have you been able to get bipartisan support on that um, on that Senate bill? Who have been some of the champions for you all? Very much so. Senator John Thune, Republican from uh, South Dakota. Senator Mike Rounds, Republican from South Dakota. Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana. Senator Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey. So we've got uh, what we call cattle states and urban states involved in this. And then you've got Senator John Hoven, Republican from North Dakota. We've got Senator Ben Ray Luan, a Democrat from New Mexico. And we've got Senator Heinrich from New Mexico joined on and uh, Senator Cynthia Loomis, a Republican from Wyoming. So it's a bipartisan bill. It's clearly recognized this is an essential piece of legislation that must be passed. And yet it sits in the U.S. Senate Ag Committee and they do nothing. Uh, and one of the reasons is, is because the beef packing cartel is so powerful. Uh, not just out in the marketplace, but they're powerful in Washington, D.C., and they've been successful at holding Congress and the administration at bay for decades. And we've got to do something. We've got to be forceful, we've got to be decisive, and we have to be aggressive. And so we're pushing Congress uh, for some key reforms in order to restore opportunities for the American rancher to once again be profitable uh, and to help rebuild rural America. Bill, we always love talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and helping educate our audience. Thank you, Bill. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.